Welcome to the Living Hope Church podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. We pray that you are blessed by the sermon. Uh, We act as a resource, um, this podcast, to provide you with weekly sermons from our church um, and that you would be encouraged on your drive to work or encouraged at home when you're cleaning, that this would be an encouragement for you. And so we pray that you were blessed by the sermon today. So let's get into the sermon. Years ago, when uh, Deb and I were living in California, uh, we were able to move into, uh, that's where I was, uh, went to seminary in the Los Angeles area, and the apartment that we first moved into was, um, we had got through some connections through some other students, and it was great rent, nice location to, to the school and everything, it was like the perfect fit, uh, but they, uh, they said that they keep it the price low because unless if it's necessary, they just allow certain things to just stay broken. So like the the clock little timer on our oven didn't work because that was just extraneous, um, wasn't necessary. And so they did that in order to keep the prices down. Well, uh, a few months into that, we found out that our uh, apartment complex was bought by a new owner, which means a uh, new mortgage. And, and he said he was immediately raising the rent. And so... Uh, we were like, um, and we were also expecting, we were expecting our firstborn at that time. And, uh, and we were like, okay, if it's going to go up, this is not worth the cost. Uh, you know, we were willing to pay less for this place, but if it's going up, forget it. So that sent us out looking for other places. Now, this is the LA area. Um, and as you know, uh, prices are really high. So I was looking wherever I could find uh, possibilities. I was thinking, you know, either another apartment or maybe even a house would be great to kind of have our family there for the first few years. And uh, and so I came across this ad on online, and uh, and it said a house in Fullerton. Um, and so I gave the number a call, called, and somebody answered the phone. I was like, uh, "Yes, I'm calling about this house in Fullerton. Can you tell me how much a month it is?" And they said a thousand, and I'm like, whoa! Which, just so you know, that's a fantastic price for a house in the LA area to rent at that time. I'm like, all right, uh, uh, what do I need to do? Like, what, what's the next step? And and she said, well, come on in to the office. We gotta go some some paperwork, and then we'll give you the address. So you can take it from there. I'm like, okay. So I tell Deb, hey, here's the deal. Let's go right now. We go into this place. And uh, we walk in, we sit at this desk, there's this nice lady, um, she kind of explains some things, things like that. And uh, when we get there um, and have this conversation, I, I go, hey, yeah, well, we're, we're here because we'd like, we'd really interested in the house in Fulton that's that I was told was a thousand a month. And, and they said, well, you have to uh, fill out the paperwork and make the payment for this information before you can uh, give more information. Uh, now I'm sure my wife was probably more, she's, she's, sometimes she's a little bit more, well, most of the time she's more discerning than that. And she probably had some flags come up in your head at that point. Uh, I did not. I'm like, well, they're a business. They have this information. They have a right to sell it. And in order for me to get it, I need to pay make the payment. So I'm like, so in my mind, I'm like no red flags yet, but, um, so we pay the, the money and it was over $100, and they hand us the, the list of addresses there, and 
And I'm looking through, still not seeing. So we get, they said, well, you gotta go, just go look up these addresses and you'll find a spot you can make the calls from there. So we go searching and we go around and around and none of the addresses that were on there were for sale or for rent. And, uh, and we were just getting really frustrated. It's like we had gotten duped. And uh, so we called the, I think we called the police. We found out that we're not the only ones that this has happened to. Um, but they very craftily, in the fine print of the documents that we signed, what, they, what the detectives told us is that the language is such that whatever, it, it, it exempts them from anything that was said up to the moment of signing that paper. So they could say anything they wanted to, but as soon as we signed and paid the fee, they didn't have to, they didn't have to be held to it. So it's the fine language, but we got duped. And you know, I think all of us can relate to getting duped at some point. It's not fun. It usually leaves with regret, uh, shame, embarrassment. Uh, like I didn't wanna tell my other seminary friends that this happened because like, how could I have been so stupid? We should have made, you know, done something to protect and so that we wouldn't get duped. But we can easily get duped, right? And the result is not very fun. Well. Paul's intent in writing the letter to the in the letter of Colossians was to help that church not get duped. So we're going to look at one of the passages there where he writes where he doesn't want them to get duped. But let me uh, let's approach the word first in prayer. Father, we come before you. We have reminded ourselves of great truths that which unites us, the Apostles' Creed, and also the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are united, we are here under your name, and we ask you to speak. Holy Spirit, we simply yield ourselves to you. You know what's going on in our hearts more than we know ourselves, and you know exactly what we need to hear this morning. Would you give us the ears to hear so that we might see you clearly? I pray this in your mighty name, the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Colossians. Colossians is towards the back. It's in the New Testament. There's some well-known documents called the Gospels. You go past them and they're in this group of letters that Paul wrote. Letter to the Colossians. The big idea this morning the big idea of this passage of Colossians 2.8, which is what we'll be reading, is this. Do not be taken captive by philosophies not according to Christ. Do not be taken captive by philosophies not according to Christ. So let me read Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, this verse is sandwiched in a much larger section, and as I began to study it, uh, it's a really big section. It pretty much goes for the whole of chapter 2, um, practically speaking, and uh, it's just the way that, God, that Paul frames it and everything, but we're just going to focus on Colossians 2, verse 8 here. Uh, I want to show you another slide that helps you break it down so you can kind of see the structure a little bit of the verse. See to it that no one takes you captive. And then Paul follows it with some 
what we call prepositional phases, descriptive. What are they not to be taken captive by? By philosophy and empty deceit. And then Paul describes that statement. Okay, what kind of philosophy, what kind of empty deceit? It is according to human tradition or according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. We're just going to walk through this verse. I'm going to explain some of any of the nuances just to help us flesh out what Paul was saying because this was written in a different language first. And uh, so we want to understand uh, what is going on here. So this phrase, see to it, this command, this imperative that Paul says. Other translations say, beware. And so this see to it means to be watchful. Be diligently aware of what's going on here. Stand guard. All right, stand guard for what? This word captive means to be led away as booty or as spoil. So the King James used spoil. Do not be taken away unless someone takes you, unless you are spoil. All right, so what, what is that? Booty, it's, it's something that was once somebody else's. And somebody came in and stole it and took it away. So Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive, meaning grabs you, seduces you in some way, and leads you away to someplace else. So see to it that no one takes you captive. By what? By philosophy. All right, what's this word philosophy? Philosophy is made up of two words, two other Greek words, phileo and sophia. Phileo is this word for love, but it's a brotherly kind of love. All right? Uh, so Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, right? Or supposed to be, right? Um, it's not always, depending on where you're at in the city. But if you're a Rocky supporter, you got the love. Um, Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. So philosophy literally means the affection of, the brotherly affection of wisdom or the fond affection of wisdom. And this is a good word. But then it's philosophy and empty deceit. Well, what does empty deceit mean? It simply means falsehood, empty promises, and we, you know, we easily get duped when somebody gives us uh, an empty promise. Like, hey, here's a $1,000 rental home you can get. Come on in, pay the fee, you can get it. Empty deceit. Something that seems sound or right or good, but it ends up not being that way. Empty deceit. Philosophy and empty deceit. Okay, according to human tradition, what does this mean? These are precepts. These are teaching points, um, things that are stated to be true that are taught by simply humans. So Paul had in mind the teaching of the rabbis. So we know that there's a Jewish audience here in the church of Colossians, as well as Greeks and Gentiles, those who are Roman citizens who are not, who don't have a Jewish background. They're all part of this audience, but uh, it would include these empty uh, Traditions taught by humans would be the rabbis, the teaching of the rabbis, and also, um, or other man-made religions like the Romans or the Greek gods and goddesses. Modern days, examples would be Buddhism, 
uh, or scientism. And let me just briefly explain what scientism is. Scientism is the view that science is the only way to know, and it's usually made without God. So again, if God's not there, there's going to be other, play, other things that people fill the God space. And so science is placed there and makes kind of science God, or at least the authority over anything else. And that is scientism. Okay, so this is viewpoint built on human tradition, and it's all around in our culture. Okay, um, so beware, see to it that no one takes you captive, be seduced to you by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. And then he uses this other phrase, according to the elemental spirits of the world. What is that? Well, in some of my research for the background, we found out that there is some historical evidence that points to that in the Church of Colossae, there were these traveling exorcists that were Jewish. If any of you are familiar with the book of Acts, there's this guy named Sceva, uh, and he had seven sons. And there's this uh, situation in Ephesus where they tried to exercise, cast out a demon, and the demon turned on them um, and overpowered these seven guys. This one person who was uh, filled with a demon was overpowered these seven guys and... And so there's evidence that he was traveling around in this era. We know that Colossae was close to Ephesus and that there was this tradition that um, people would, would use names of power. And for the Jews, they were names of angels to cast out these demons. And there were these elemental spirits of the world, which were kind of like the basic you know, from, from these 36, from these elemental spirits, all these other spirits kind of got um, a start. So think of, think of the periodic table, right? Those are all the elements in our universe. Those are the base elements. Those are the elemental elements of our world, of the physical world. So think of these elemental spirits as these baseline foundational spirits that would cause problems to people. And then the Jews had this tradition of using names of angels in order to cast out these demons when they were afflicting somebody. Names of power. And Paul's point throughout this whole letter is to show that these, that these new believers no longer have to appeal to these angels' names to try to cast things out or bring healing or deliverance, but the name of Jesus he is the preeminent one. And it's by his name and his name alone that we use to cast this out. So the elemental spirits are about this tradition of ritual practice for casting out these evil spirits of the world. And so Paul says, do not, do not be seduced by this philosophy. By this philosophy, it says you use names of angels in order to bring about healing and deliverance. Paul's point is that no, it's only through Christ. And that's his next phrase, not according to Christ. So we are not to be seduced by human philosophies according to human tradition or the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. In other words, we are to have a philosophy according to Christ. That is what Paul is saying here. We are to have a philosophy according to Christ so that we will not be seduced by other philosophies. 
So we've walked through that verse, and Paul's point is this. Philosophy here is not the bad word. It is what the philosophy is about that is bad, that Paul is warning them about. Okay, so keep that in mind. Philosophy, this word philosophy, this brotherly affection, this affection for wisdom, which if I, if I were to walk through the whole storyline of Scripture, guess what? Wisdom is something God wants us to have. Because if we go back to the garden, guess what? Adam and Eve were seduced by philosophy not according to God. If any of you remember the story, they looked at the fruit, the, 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 the serpent said, challenge the wisdom of God, his directive, his command. And the serpent said, look, you won't die. That's not what, God knows that as soon as you eat it, you're going to be like him. And so it's described there in the text that when Eve looked at the fruit and saw that it was good to make one wise, she partook of it. So Adam and Eve were seeking wisdom and they were duped by the enemy into pursuing a false wisdom. And we've been paying the price ever since. But if we were to continue to go through, wisdom is this theme that God desires us to have. The whole book of Proverbs is about gaining God's wisdom. God wants us to live wisely in this life. We look at the growing up years of Jesus. It says that he grew in stature and in wisdom. Jesus, our Savior, grew in wisdom as well as with favor with man and with God. So this theme of wisdom is all throughout Scripture. God wants us to be philosophers, lovers of wisdom. So remember, philosophy here is not the bad word. It is what the philosophy is about. And if it's not the philosophy according to Christ then it is bad and you're being seduced and taken captive. Which is why Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Be on guard, be alert, be ready, be diligent to know the true wisdom that comes from God. As James talks about, the wisdom that comes from above. Do not be taken captive by philosophies not according to Christ. So what is wisdom? All right, let's get a handle on wisdom because this is clearly one of the key factors of understanding what Paul is trying to say here in this passage. To not be taken captive by a philosophy that is not according to Christ. The implication is, again, a philosophy according to Christ is what we are to be living by, discerning everything else from and through. And so it's a call to love wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is this. Wisdom is the ability to live well in this world. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to live well. Wisdom is about living. It's about acting and moving, not just thinking in this world. Think about this. We want 
We have investments, right? Or 401ks or, or any kind of retirement account. We want wisdom, right? So we go to people who have that knowledge, who can give us wisdom about what to do with our accounts, or we hand it over to them to be stewards of our account because they have the wisdom. We seek wisdom all the time. Every November when an important election comes up like this one, we want wisdom because it's up to us to choose the next round of leaders. Do we want to pick good men and women to fill those spots? Yes. So we need wisdom in that. We need wisdom even when we're just driving a car. We're coming up on, I see some brake lights. What do I do? Oh, it's really fast. Okay. We need wisdom in that moment right there to know what to do to either avoid an accident or to take at least the best route possible in that kind of scenario. We want and long for Wisdom, the ability to live well in this world. And in order to live well, we need to know the world. For example, nobody can live well if they can't discern a house cat from a lion. Right? We need wisdom. And in order to have wisdom, we must have Knowledge. A more modern word that encompasses knowledge of the world and wisdom, this connection between the two, is this world, is this word called worldview. Maybe some of you have already heard that, have, you're familiar with it. A worldview contains everything you think about life, the beliefs about the world, practices, how to live within that world. It includes Morality, what is right and wrong. A worldview encompasses everything you think and, and shows you shows anybody how you live in that world. So if you don't have a good worldview, guess what? You won't be able to live well in the world. You won't have wisdom if you don't have the right worldview. And so Paul, in the verses that follow this verse, he expounds on what is a, a philosophy according to Christ. But what I want to do is I want to look at key worldview questions and summarize, pointing to what Paul says here, but also what Scripture says in general about these major worldview questions. Some of them you are familiar with, but let's walk through because guess what? The people, our neighbors that we rub shoulders with, our co-workers who may not know Christ, guess what? They have a worldview. And this is one thing none of us have a decision about, and that is whether or not we are a philosopher because we are all philosophers. We all have a view of the world. The question is whether or not we are good ones or not. So some of these questions, these key questions. First of all, does God exist? Paul addresses this. He's already addressed it earlier when he says, Jesus, the preeminent one, has made God known, the invisible God known to the world. And he's opened up relationship to God for mankind. Another key question for a worldview is what kinds of things exist in this world? Scripture says there are two categories of things, uncreated and created. Those are the only two kinds of things in the world. Uncreated, there's only one member in that category, and that's God. He is eternal. He doesn't have a beginning. 
and he will never end. The other category is created. And with that, Paul talks about things created, both visible, things that we can see, and invisible. Persons are created things. Angels and demons, these are all in the category of created. The question of what am I, this is a very key question. And because of our culture doesn't answer, they don't really have a solid answer for the first few questions, guess what? They're going to be discombobulated about the question about who am I? What am I? And how am I to live in this world? So what am I? We go back to Genesis. You are an image bearer of the creator of the universe. But because of your unholiness before a holy God, this is what the Bible calls sin, Paul says in verse one, verse, uh, sorry, chapter one, verse 21, he says, you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That's what we are doing. We have fallen. We were first created as image bearers. We fell. We messed up. We saw a wisdom that didn't come from God and we fell. Corruption came in. Guilt, shame, fear came into our hearts. And we are fallen as a result. Paul describes it that we were once alienated. That means separated, hostile, in mind, doing evil deeds. Another question, key worldview question that Paul is addressing here in a Christian philosophy is this, that has God acted in history? It could be one thing that God exists, but does he care about what's going on here? Has he done something? Has he entered into our world? And the answer is yes. And Paul refers to it in chapter 1, verse 22, where he says, Jesus has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And we celebrate that with the Lord's table. God has entered his history through Jesus. And guess what? As a result of this in chapter 2, verse 13, Forgiveness of all our sins is available through Jesus. That which made us unholy, separated and alienated from God, through Christ, we're now being brought back over and we are seen covered in his righteousness and are therefore holy and spotless and pure. God canceled our record of debt through Christ. And it was that record of debt that kept us from God, though we were dead in our sin, God made us alive together with him. Another key worldview question, who is Jesus? And again, Paul, the, Paul's just saying, Jesus is the centerpiece of God acting in history. Jesus is the, is the centerpiece of all of his plan of redemption. Jesus, who is the one who has the highest authority. He's the Messiah, the Son of God incarnate. He is the head of our rule and authority. He's the one who died on the cross in our place that we might be raised with him and made alive. No longer zombies. No longer walking around with this huge gaping hole in our hearts where that only God can fill. Jesus came, did what he had to do, so that we could be filled with life and made alive again, fully human. This is a Christian philosophy. 
Is there one morality that applies to all? Is there truly absolute, is morality absolute? Is it just up to the individual or a group of cultures? Paul answers this. Now he's going to answer more in chapter 3. So you got to come back next week. But it's clear that if God has made, designed the world in a certain way, then it certainly follows that there's one way to live and act in that world. If you go outside of that design, you're living wrongly. If you live in light of that design, you're living rightly. So it's how God has structured the fact that God is there and has made this world in a certain way, that is what determines morality. And because the world is real, but beyond that, because God is eternal, yes, morality is absolute. It is solid. There is a way of living well in the world. And Paul continues to point to this by in chapter 2, verse 3, where he says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures. Remember our point last week, Jesus is the treasure trove of wisdom and knowledge. You want to know how to live well in this world? Study Jesus. Get to know him. Follow his ways. His invitation is there. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Guess what? This pandemic, it's wearying me. Are you tired? You have, uh, was it um, COVID fatigue? <laughs> God bless you, brother. <clears throat> if we walk in the way of Jesus, we will know how to live well in this world, no matter what we come up against. No matter what happens on Tuesday, no matter what happens with COVID, with the surge of cases and the resulting effects of that, if we follow Jesus, we'll be walking in wisdom and we will know how to live well in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our life. And that's Paul's point. Why? Because they were appealing. The Colossian church were looking at different sources of wisdom and knowledge to guide them. They were looking to names of angels to try to deal with any healing, uh, any needed healing or any deliverance that was needed. They were going to those angels' names. No, Jesus has the most authoritative, powerful name in the universe. He's the one who heals. He is the one who can deliver. And in him is the one where there's wisdom to live well. See to it that no one takes you captive, that no one seduces you away from a Christian philosophy. So, what about some application? I want to present a scenario to you, and I just want you to get thinking about what you already know about following Christ. I want you to just think about how does this fit. So this past week, Pastor Mario let me know about this thing going on on TikTok. Uh, TikTok is this app that you can record videos, things like that. But there's a lot more to it than that, as I'm finding out. But there's this phenomenon called shifting. Has anybody heard of shifting by any chance? Okay. Um, yeah, see all the young folk. Uh, because uh, there's several, what I think, uh, one, one particular video was seen over 24 million times. Uh, there's uh, millions and millions of views on things related to shifting. All right. So Pastor Meyer told me about this and, uh, and I was like, 
whoa, I need to check this out. Here's what shifting is. And I'm, it is, um, it is an attempt to try to put yourself in a desired, what's called a desired reality. And so there is this, uh, people are encouraged to write out a script, what they want to happen in this kind of desired reality. And then they uh, kind of relax themselves in certain poses or whatever. And they're kind of half asleep. The point is to kind of get ha partly asleep. Um, and then to walk through this script. And, uh, and then in that kind of state, you get to live in your desired reality. And uh, at least in one article that I uh, read about it, that uh, some people are uh, just experiencing a lot of it. Um, well, this one example was just this girl writes on her picture saying that she woke up at 4 a.m. and she just shifted into Hogwarts for the last eight months. Um, and then she woke up and she said, I am I'm missing that. I want to go back. Kind of let me go back to that reality. Um, all right, so that's what shifting is. It's basically, it's more than just lucid dreaming. This is from the article I read. It's more than lucid dreaming, but the person's kind of sort of awake, but they go through the script, it's the desired reality, and they enter into kind of a state to experience that reality. Okay, so it's not quite hypnosis, and it's a little bit in after lucid dreaming. It's a little bit deeper than that. Um, so let me ask you this, what you know, let, let's just have a conversation here, okay? I know this normally doesn't happen with sermons that you may be familiar with, but let's have a little conversation with here. What are some of the things going on in your mind as you bring a Christian philosophy that you're aware of to bear on this topic, on this shifting? And that you can verbally say it back to me. What are, what are some thoughts going on? Okay, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's definitely what goes on in, in my head. It's like, okay, and uh, because um, Christians who study deliverance and how demons interact, that there's this certain brain state that is like lucid dreaming, like shifting, where the enemy can easily enter in, in those moments. Yeah. You're right, and it's, and it's not. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you discerned that. Very good. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, very good. What? Let's think about what might be going on in the person's heart where they would want to try shifting. What does that tell you? Stress. Empty. Hopelessness. Very good. That's right. Uh, and so I want us. Jesus calls us to have compassion. And so I want us to look on the people who want to try shifting with compassion. Why? Because there's something going on in their heart where they feel lost or empty. And so they're desiring. This is, remember, um, we are such creatures that we have hope. And so these people are looking for hope. And they're not finding it in the real world. And this is where we need to think really long and hard because... The church is supposed to be communicating that hope. So we need to look with compassion. There's something going on in their heart where they feel empty. Why? Because they need Jesus. 
They need Jesus. And it is a further move to use our God-given imagination to go too far away from him. Because what it ends up doing is creating a longing for another world, which is not totally bad, right? Jesus says, I come to bring you new creation. I'm coming back. He's given us hope that he's going to restore this sin and deadness in this world. He's going to make a new creation. He started by making us a new creation that gives us hope, that fills us with his presence. That's what Paul says earlier. We've been filled in Christ. And they're not. And so they're longing for something to fill them. And they're not finding it in this world. So they are seeking another world, a world of their own making. Any other thoughts of bringing to bear Christian philosophy on this phenomenon that's going on right now that I'm, I know many of us are not, I wasn't aware of it until somebody who's more uh, savvy in, in TikTok. <laughs> I've heard of TikTok. I'm just not going to touch it, but... Um, because I make my own music videos the way I want to. Just kidding. Um, but uh, <laughs> you like that move? Okay. Um, this is a dance according to the Christian philosophy right there. Okay. Any other thoughts about what might be going on? I want us to think about the person's heart because a Christian philosophy thinks about what's going on in them. And a Christian philosophy calls us to be compassionate. Not be like, kids these days, they're so crazy. I don't want to, no, no. Compassion, engagement, talking to them. They're not experiencing God in this world when God is active and on the move. So that brings up the question, are we walking with Jesus as the church so that he's moving through us? These people who desire an alternative reality because they see nothing but hopelessness and emptiness in this world. Wait a second. This is a world that God entered into through his son. This is a world full of God's presence. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. There's nowhere on earth where you can escape the message of God is here. God is here. God loves you. He is present. He has made you. Absolutely nowhere where you can go to escape that message. And God has chosen us, the body of Christ, to make his glory known that his presence is here. And are we silent? Our hearts need to be moved with compassion for people who feel so lost and empty that they got to think of their own desired reality and try to enter into that. And the fact that they're sad when they come back out. We are called to take the presence of God to the world. And God's presence is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy, not a trickle, a waterfall of joy because we're in God's presence. put some other questions for you to consider. And I ask you to think as you go about this day, does this take these notes 
and just ask yourself the question, okay, the other one that I put, how would I navigate another shutdown as a result of COVID? How would you navigate that with a Christian philosophy? And a final question, what steps have you taken to deepen your understanding of a Christian worldview? Do you still have like an elementary understanding that's not very deep? And have you gotten comfortable with that? Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus is the deepest thinker that's ever touched the surface of our world. In him are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so let me encourage you to think about one step just to challenge you to go a little bit deeper than where you are at right now. To pick a book that you normally wouldn't pick because it looks challenging. Maybe it doesn't have a nice picture on the cover and it looks more academic. Let me challenge you to pick up one of those kinds of books to challenge you to go deeper. To press on towards maturity in Christ, which is another theme of Paul's letter here. To move forward, to not be to not get complacent, to not get complacent with where you're at, but to press on towards Christ. I've given you some suggestions there to apply, to think about ways in which to strengthen yourself, to be better on guard so that you will not be taken captive, that you will not be seduced by philosophies other than a Christian philosophy. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are gracious. You are very gracious. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, right now, as it relates to the topic of this verse in your word about a philosophy according to Christ, wherever we find ourselves, we know that you are not looking down condemning us there is therefore now no condemnation for those here in Christ Jesus. But you beckon us with a smile on your face because you, joy, you, have, you enjoy us, you, have, you delight in us. And you say, come, come deeper. Come to me. Explore the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in Jesus. That's only going to happen if we start by choosing to desire the good. Because to desire the good is to desire you. So move our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.